You're listening to WBC Audio. My name's Jeremy, and I'm a local pastor here in Whitehorse, Yukon Territory. Let's jump into this week's message. So we've been going through a series called How I Met Jesus, and we're hearing people's stories like Harrison and looking at John's gospel. There's four gospel accounts in the New Testament, the first four books of the New Testament of the Bible, and the fourth one is John's gospel. It's written a lot further after the first three, and it's, it's a really interesting gospel account in that it focuses on the relationship. And what I mean by that, there's huge sections of conversations that take place, people having conversations with Jesus. And where the other gospels really focus maybe more heavily on the theology or the facts that happen and things like that, John seems to key in on the conversation. And so it's really interesting. And this week we're looking at um, the messages Jesus meets with his disciples. And I understand that at this point in John 13, which we're going to open up and read in a minute, that this point, the disciples have already had like just transformational encounters with Jesus. And they've been like serving with him and following him and learning from him for a few years now. However, I I felt so strongly to, to put this account in, in this series, because of the conversation. There's a conversation that happens at the communion table or right before they take communion, the very first communion. And there's something that happens that only John records. And it all comes around this concept of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. There's this discipleship, servant leadership thing that happens. But it's not just about that happening. There is a dialogue that happens between him and a couple of his disciples and and for them as a whole. And so it's important to look at. Without further ado, let's turn to uh, John 13. John chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, there'll be a Bible under one of the seats in front of you. Passages will appear on the screen. And uh, if If you don't own a Bible, please talk to our greeters afterwards, and they have a stack of Bibles they can just give you. Maybe you you want another one, you want a second one to maybe keep in your vehicle or whatever. Please take one. They're, they're, They're for you. Talk to the greeters afterwards. Here we go. John 13, starting in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. When he had poured water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, 
The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then you, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. All right, so first thing we need to get out of the way here is that Jesus is leaving. His earthly ministry is ending. Last week, Harrison talked a little bit that, that Jesus started to say, you know, my hour is at hand or my hour is coming. Right here, it's like right off the top. It says, it, it talks about this, his hour, Jesus' hour had come to depart out of this world, that he had come from God and was going back to God. So his earthly ministry with the disciples is coming to a close. This is a important face-to-face encounter. This intimate encounter, this is really a, a last close time with these disciples that he has been closest with. Incredibly important as far as the entire earthly ministry of Jesus is. But what is it? Uh, we find that this is really the, the bigger reason this happened. This is, this is a lesson in discipleship. You know, if we skip all the way down to the huge section of, of him explaining why he does this, he, he states, you know, you call me teacher, you call me Lord, and I am him. Don't get me wrong. I am your Lord. I am teacher. Jesus is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace. He's the Messiah. He is. Doesn't dispute that. But he said, if I, your Lord and teacher, if I'm going to stoop down and wash your feet, serve you in, in, in one of the lowest levels. I'll let your imagination go forward on what the streets of the city back then had in them, and they wore sandals, so we'll just leave that picture in your mind. So this is one of the lowliest things. He's getting down, he's stooping in, he, he's, he's serving them, and he says, this, this you also shall do to each other. You're going to do this too. If I am way up here and I come down and do this to you, then you should have no problem 
having this thing happen between the few of you. And so on and so on and so on. That, that a, a disciple of mine or of Jesus, that if I can do this, then you will do it too. This is a big lesson in discipleship as a whole. Becoming a disciple of Jesus, becoming a follower of Jesus, becoming like the master, like the Lord, this is a component. Now, this is, we believe that theologically this is a metaphor. This is why in our church we don't go around washing each other's feet. Also, in our culture, we wear socks and shoes, and we, we, we don't, on a, on a basis, when we come in our houses, when we come into a building, unlike this time, it wasn't something that, it's not something we have to do. We don't really have to wash our feet before we come in a house. They had to. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't take away that the metaphor is so important. And in, in some churches, they still as a reminder of, and, and, and to elevate the importance of it, they still kind of do a semi-foot washing experience. I was raised in this, the fellowship that we're a part of, the fellowship of evangelical Baptists, and obviously our church is a part of that fellowship now, but for a time, for four years when I was in Alaska, I was a youth pastor in the fellowship of Grace Brethren Churches. So a lot of similar stuff doctrinally, beliefs on kind of the major doctrines. Um, not much difference there, but one of the differences was in regards to communion. They, they felt that it was important not, not to just go through the metaphor, but symbolically that in the communion experience, they would actually, you wouldn't have it in the main service. You would come back later that night and they, they would actually have a meal, a big meal together, the, the members of the church, and they would have communion as part of that meal. So when Jesus said, do this and remember to me, they, they did the full, full meal deal, pun intended. And, but also in part of that, they felt, well, if Jesus says, do this and remember, they also felt that the foot washing component of the communion that happened before communion found in John, that they were to do that as well. And so when you would come in the evening to, to take part in communion, before that, the men and the women would split into two rooms and there would be, uh, you know, bins and basins and stuff of water with a little bleach in it and some, and some fresh towels and, and, it wasn't like you were scrubbing down feet, but you would take an opportunity to wash those feet, just pour water over, over, each other, uh, over each other's feet and dry it off. And it was a symbolic thing. But moreover, there was opportunity before for reconciliation. So if maybe you were in a conflict or you had had some sort of discussion in Sunday school or something had happened, there was a moment before you washed feet that you could reconcile things. And... And so at first I was like, I, I, don't, I don't really want to be touching people's feet. I, I, like when I first came into this, but I, I was really, I, I didn't catch the symbolism until I did it. Because after I experienced it, all of a sudden I'm like, wait a second, the big thing is not washing people's feet. The big thing is having people wash your feet. Because it is something that I, I didn't grasp when the father of one of my students, one of my junior hires, is stooped at my feet, washing my feet as a youth pastor. It was incredibly humbling. But then, maybe a different time, one of the elders stooped at my feet, washing my feet. The lead pastor sitting at the feet of the youth pastor, washing my feet. 
And all of a sudden, I was like, man, I didn't fully catch the symbolism until right now. It was so, just, just so humbling. And then all of a sudden, I realized, and by the way, I'm not saying next communion, you all have to wash each other's feet, just so we get that caveat out of the way. Our expression of communion here is we do the bread and the cup. Different churches do different things. However, I learned something from that experience. I understood the metaphor better when I actually experienced the symbolism of it. And, and so now I think about what about us? Jesus has done this and said, hey, I'm doing this. I'm your Lord and master. I'm stooping down. I'm doing this. And, and, and as disciples of me, as followers of me, as fellow servants, you guys are going to do this too. You're going to wash each other's feet. You're going to serve each other. And this is our call. Every single Christian, every follower of Jesus has been called to become like Jesus as best they can. And in that calling, they are also gifted with the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. And every single one of us, one of us has been given a spiritual gift to which we are to use to wash each other's feet, metaphorically. The gift you have is not for you, it's for the church. But wait a second, wait a second. Jeremy, this is only for the people we're getting along with though, right? Like I serve over here in this area and I do this thing because these are like my people. Well, we could maybe say that. But unfortunately, unfortunately, the motivation out of our discipleship it, it is, it, it's spoken here by Jesus it, that, that we can see from John's words, he says, knowing, knowing that he was leaving and he loved them to the end. He, he loved the ones he had. He loved them to the end. And, and it says, knowing that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He loved them to the end. He, he knew that he was leaving. And because of that, he rose from supper and, and he started doing this thing. The, the motivation, the initial motivation is out of love. He loved the people that he was going to serve. But, but wait a second, Jeremy. That, but he also knew that, he knew that Judas was there. Yeah, he loved Judas. But he, it's not like he didn't know Judas was going to betray him. It, it, it actually says numerous times here. In two, the devil had already put it into Judas's heart. 11, it says, for he knew who was to betray him. Jesus was fully aware. But, but also in verse 18, it says, scripture says, scripture would be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. This is all part of the plan. So Jesus, not only, not only does he wash the feet of his disciples, all of them. Imagine, he got down and he washed Judas's feet, full knowledge that he's about to betray him. We learn later in scripture that Judas is so broken by his betrayal of Jesus, he actually falls into, obviously, this deep depression to the point where he ends his own life. Jesus, knowing this, he, he washes Judas' feet. Well, for us, this is, a, this is a point of discipleship too. Followers of Jesus, we don't get to choose who we serve. 
When we become a part of a local church, it's bonkers to think that we're going to get along with everyone all the time. But that doesn't matter. Well, no, Jeremy, you don't understand. This person has gossiped about me. They've betrayed me. They've plotted against me. Have they plotted your murder yet? Because that's the extent. Jesus washed the feet of the man who would pay to have him captured and murdered. Jesus doesn't say to the disciples in the end, in this, in this lesson of discipleship and leadership, he doesn't say, this you will do also, except for those who are going to betray you, and that's why I left out Judas. doesn't say that. We don't, get any, we don't get any picture in the scriptural account that he left out Judas, or that Judas left before he washed their feet. He washed the twelve. So our betrayers, the people who plot against us, maybe even in the church, are we willing to fully become like Jesus, to fully become disciples of Jesus? Can we wash the feet of our betrayers? Can we wash the feet of the people who, who have maybe done something against us? Or are we going to grip the bitterness and say, I've been hard done by, I'm sticking in, and they're, they're out. I'm not even going to interact with them. That's not the picture. That behavior is not of Jesus. And so I'll leave it in your mind of what that behavior is like. Well, you don't understand, Jeremy. I got to get mine. Scripture says vengeance is the Lord's. So how, how does that work? Just because you want an answer right away? And I understand. I'm not a patient man. Those of you that know me know that. But at some point, you have to leave it. You got to let it be. You got to let it breathe. Let God breathe. And you just got to serve. You got to use the gifting that you have and whoever God puts in front of you, you got to use that gift to wash their feet, to serve them. And, and you can't worry about who it is. And it goes to the next contrast that we have here. The next contrast, we have Peter, the, the overzealous disciple. This guy's like... Jesus, when he comes to Jesus, it's kind of like this puppy dog love. You know, I love you, 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 I love you. Anything for you, Jesus. I imagine, uh, anyone see the elf? You know, when, when, when the elf's, you're my dad, and I love you, and you know, this is what I imagine Peter sometimes. He is so all in for Jesus, so in love with Jesus, he's like, no, Jesus, you're not washing my feet. No, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter, no, this has to happen. I have to, this has to happen. You don't understand right now, but you're going to understand, Peter. Good thing he was Jesus. He had patience. Well, then Peter just flip-flops. All of a sudden, you're not going to wash, you're going to wash everything. You're going to wash my hands, my feet, my head, because you're Jesus, and I love you, and I'm, I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to, he is so zealous and passionate for his Lord and master. This is like the complete opposite from the betrayer to the overzealous disciple and everything in between. Can you imagine John? I feel like, you know, John's like the, I feel like he's the laid back relational guy. And is he just sitting there and being like, I'm going to write about this one day. You know, I don't, I don't know. Like, so, so Peter's all in, but Jesus, it's like, he doesn't rule him out. He, he doesn't say, oh, you're a nut job, pal, out. Because out of that passion and zeal, Peter, Peter doesn't have it like, it's not kind of cornered in yet. It's not focused yet. And a little bit from here, he's going to get the Holy Spirit. And Peter's actually going to be one, all that zeal and passion and that 
puppy dog love, the Holy Spirit's going to grab a hold of it, and he's going to be the rock in which Jesus starts his church. We're here partly because that man who just was fired up for Jesus. And so for us too, sometimes, sometimes we're discipling people, sometimes we're serving people, and it's just like, oh my goodness, if you serve me, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, you are too much. <laughs> like, you are just explosive passion for Jesus. And some of us in the church, sometimes in the church, we can actually look down at that. We say, yeah, they're like, they're not like a normal Christian. They're like crazy Christian. Like they're like telling everyone about Jesus. And, you know, that's a little too far. I think we need to be careful because here we have the overzealous, the passionate Peter who's not fully getting it, but Jesus doesn't mark him off. He actually just helps siphon him in here a bit, focus him in, and we find out that God harnesses that passion. And so if we have people that we're serving and we're discipling and they're overpassionate and overzealous, we should be just begging God that we just get a, a piece of it. Because from what we see in scripture and what we've seen through church history, those people, and maybe it'll be the child downstairs, maybe it'll be the teenager in the youth group, maybe it's someone who's just come to know Jesus, but watch out. If someone's overzealous, I promise you, history has told us they don't have to be the smartest, they don't have to be the most educated, they don't have to have the best background, but if they're passionate about Jesus, God will use them in such an amazing way and you have an opportunity to help disciple them, mentor them, and form them, and you have an opportunity to be a part of their life. Just look back, look at the stories of what were talked about about Billy Graham. Look at some of the testimonies of his mom. His mom had no idea what was gonna happen to Billy. He wouldn't be quiet. He wouldn't shut up. He, he acted out. He was, listen to stories of what this kid was like. This was not the good kid in Sunday school. Oh, by the way, he'll tell the gospel to more people than anyone else in the past hundred years. This is what God does. If we have an opportunity to serve someone who's overzealous and passionate and you just can't keep their Jesus love in control, praise God. Love is the motivation out of it. But it doesn't end there. The, the second part of this why is, is really the legacy of it. We, we look here, the legacy of discipleship. Jesus does this whole thing, but then in the very end, he comes back to these two words which we've talked about, truly, truly. And I, we've talked about before, anytime Jesus says truly, truly, we need to be like focused right in. Because anytime he says truly, truly, it's kind of like this, wake up, listen to this. What I'm about to say has eternal significance. And twice in this passage, he says truly, truly. We talked about one a little bit here. You know, uh, truly, truly, I say to you that a servant is not greater than his master. Talked about that a little bit. But then he says, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He comes back to this sending concept. And a few sentences later, he says again, truly, truly, Wake up, Don't, you gotta catch this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the big reveal. This is like the big answer to why. Love's the motivation of discipleship. We need to love all people, whether the betrayer or overzealous, and we serve them, we disciple them, we invest in them as followers of Jesus, we invest in each other. But the why, the, the end goal it, it still comes back to the sending. 
The goal is not that a church forms together, serves itself, loves each other, and it's like, oh, we have this amazing church, and we're all tight, and we're all family. That's great. These are good things. But it doesn't it doesn't get rid of the fact that in the end, the goal is it's not just about serving each other. The serving is also the sending. When someone becomes a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, they start acting like him and they become a disciple. There comes a point where we need to make more disciples. We, we should be compelled that, that eternity is still coming. The legacy of discipleship is in the kingdom. And we are given this opportunity to tell as many people. If you share the gospel with someone at work and they accept Jesus, Jesus is, is telling the picture here. He's saying, if, you, if they receive you, they receive me. But if they receive me, they receive the one who sent me, the Father. This is a big point to the Trinity, to the, to the larger kingdom scale. You know, this is one of these verses that where, you know, if you're talking about the gospel of Oprah Winfrey, where, you know, we're all in different paths and we all lead to God. And it, wrong. Jesus says, you, you receive me, you receive him. I am the truth, the life, and the way, no other way, through Jesus. These are one of these bold statements. If, if your friends and family and coworkers do not receive Jesus, you will not see them again after you die. These are the facts of the gospel. And so once we experience discipleship, we start getting into the word, we know each other, we know Jesus, and, and this, this thing of the church is healthy and it's working, it doesn't end there. There has to be an outpouring into our city of people telling others about Jesus, bringing more in, planting churches, more churches, more disciples, more people going to heaven. Jesus' heart is broken for the lost. As disciples of Jesus, our hearts should be broken for the lost. And if we're in a position where we're like, yeah, people are going to hell, you know, it's tough, but that happens, check ourselves. Talking about Billy Graham, he, he, he recounted a story of a, of a 30-year deacon in a Baptist church went to one of his things and came to know Jesus for the first time. That's a wake-up call. We need to be careful. We need to check our heart. And if we're not broken for the lost, if it doesn't bother us that people aren't gonna spend eternity with Jesus, it should bug us. We should have some sort of disdain for that. And if we don't, we need to get alone in our prayer closet and say, Lord, give me a burden for the lost. So, before I, uh, before I close in prayer, I, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to do something here. And uh, that's okay. Before I close in prayer, I wanted to, uh, I'm going to ask Harrison to come up over on the side here. And during this last worship song, I'm actually going to wash Harrison's feet. Um, now, there's two reasons for that. One, I want to show to our congregation, both the 9 o'clock and the 11, I affirm him as a pastor. He's a pastoral apprentice. He doesn't have it all together, but I don't really care about that because what I know about him, he has a deep, deep burden for the lost. He desperately wants people to know Jesus in the city. He's a guy who grew up in this city, knew Christians that never told him about Jesus. He had to go away to Victoria, and then a guy told him. 
So out of that experience, he's a burden for the lost. He's going to be a pastor of a you know, soft launch church, a, a, a community of believers a month from now. And next year, he's going to have his own church. And so I want to I demonstrate, in one sense, my affirmation for him as, as a gospel-centered pastor that deeply desires to reach our city. But second, I kind of just want to show our congregation what it looks like as far as the symbolism goes, that maybe in your community groups, it's not a have to, but maybe as you have that discussion, maybe this is something you want to do. Maybe you do want to break the men and women up and, and out of that symbolism of love to, to try to maybe get the bigger picture. Okay, what is this metaphor? What does it really mean? Because it is a very, very humbling experience when you have someone who you see in authority, who you, who you see in that way and, uh, and to, to wash feet. So again, uh, this isn't a have to. This isn't something that we're bringing on. It's not a big reveal. It's just an important little thing that sometimes we can show to learn, to learn something. All right, let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you so much for your gospel. I thank you for uh, the love that you had for us, that you sent your son to take our sin, our shame, our pain, all the disgusting secret things we have, and you took them so that we might be clean. It's so overwhelming that you look at us and you see us pure. Father, in this church, may we be a people that has servant leadership, servant discipleship, that we would serve those who have betrayed us and yet those that are so overzealous that maybe we can't relate to them and everything in between. May, may we not have um, roadblocks or, or preferences in who we serve. Lord, we ask once again, too, for workers for the harvest. We, we ask that in Jesus' name, you would use your spirit to show people their gifting and their calling and where they're supposed to serve in the church. May they step up, even if it's just once a month, Lord, I pray that they would be followers of you and to the full extent. Send us in your grace and peace in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Whitehorse Baptist Church Audio. If this message has made an impact in your life today, we'd love to hear from you. You can also download past messages, share them with a friend, or find out how you can partner with us to keep this ministry going. For all that and more, visit whbc.ca. That's whbc.ca.